Good morning from Washington, D.C. Two days after election results came in from Wisconsin, changing one seat in that state's Supreme Court and showing in stark relief an issue that is being faced in every state in our nation. The Wisconsin election happened more than a week ago, but as in yesteryear, results were only known after a full week. The coronavirus sent voting in the Badger State careening down several paths as the governor fought to protect citizens by moving the election before the state's highest court decided that set date was sacrosanct and that absentee balloting could only take place up to the day of the in-person election. The result was confusion and dynamic changes in turnout. My name is Paul Kincaid. I'm the Director of Congressional Outreach here at FMC and have been honored to host our Thursday virtual roundtables. On behalf of more than 600 former members of Congress and our staff, I'd like to thank all of you for calling in today and to thank our esteemed panelists for being part of today's discussion. Wisconsin's story is a cautionary tale for a country in which several states still have primary elections for both presidential and lower-level races. State laws for primary elections are a hodgepodge of rules involving absentee balloting, early voting, and poll logistics. Meanwhile, a November general election looms in which, for the first time in generations, the nominees for president might not be the biggest story. While the date of election is federally mandated, logistics will again rear their heads in the fall. Some states have already created mandatory vote-by-mail regimes, while others are working to make that practice as infrequent as possible. Meanwhile, there are very few federal voting standards for federal elections, and we face a potential of a second virus outbreak just as our economy begins to open back up in the fall, only weeks before the November election date. That's our scene today, and the issue our panel will be discussing on this virtual roundtable. We're joined by Governor Jim Blanchard, a Democrat who served two terms as Governor of Michigan before becoming the United States Ambassador to Canada. He'll moderate a discussion today featuring Adam Ambrosi, Director of the Elections Program at the Democracy Fund, a supporter of FMC. Adam also served as Chief Counsel for the U.S. Senate Committee on Rules and helped lead passage of the Military and Overseas Voters Empowerment Act. Adam will be joined by former Maryland Lieutenant Governor Michael Steele, who also served as chairman of the Republican National Committee and led one of the biggest waves in RNC history, flipping 63 seats in the House and winning the greatest share of state legislative seats for Republicans since 1928. Governor Blanchard has been kind enough to moderate the discussion today, though I'm sure he'll also have some thoughts on votes in the age of coronavirus. So I'll let him take it away. Governor? Thank you, Paul, and thanks to the former members of Congress for hosting these uh, regular forums. I happen to have been a former member of Congress. I am, rather, and uh, by the way, was elected at a very young age, 46 years ago. Uh, I've also worked on 14 as a voter, 14 presidential elections, starting in 1964 when I was a page at the Democratic National Convention that nominated Lyndon Johnson. Uh, But I have never, ever seen a time like this, not just with the pandemics, but the types of style of the president and the campaigns, and actually the early uh, early selection of the uh, Democratic nominees. So let's get right to it here. We have two, you know, great authorities. Adam, of course, is head of the elections program at Democracy Fund. Michael Steele not only has served as lieutenant governor and successful Republican national chairman, but is a real TV star these days. I see him a lot on MSNBC and other stations. Let's start right now with both of you. Give your general view of the lay of the land right now. Uh, Adam, why don't you go first? Uh, Sure, and thanks so much uh, to the governor, uh, to Michael, as well as the former members of Congress Association for having me. you know, this is unprecedented as far as the time uh, goes with with, with elections. Um, 
you know, we have seen a lot of change in the style of how Americans vote even prior to the, 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 the onset of the coronavirus. And, you know, for those states that have a decent amount of flexibility that allow vote by mail, that allow early voting, um, people are sorting themselves out to, you know, select one of those options. So, you know, for example, Florida um, in implementing both a pretty permissive vote by mail as well as early voting. Um, it's broken down into about a third, a third, a third of those that chose to vote on Election Day, those that want to vote early and those that uh, choose to vote by mail um, uh, in, in major elections. Uh, that said, um, the because we don't know where this virus is taking us and because part of the challenge of this virus is people congregating together um, and potentially passing this virus from person to person, there's a clear and real health concern uh, associated with, with bringing people together on a big day, putting them on lot, in line next to each other, having them interact and pass, you know, papers back and forth between individuals. That really raises the question of are there better ways to do it and do we have enough time uh, before the November election to surge vote by mail uh in in those states that uh, that uh, don't really use it a lot and uh to make it easier to vote by mail this you know some of the states require an excuse for you to say i am currently sick or i'm going to be out of town during election day to get that that ballot um and for the local and state election officials to handle changing how they run elections you know funding um uh, a, a different way of counting ballots, a different way of staffing um, your your election uh, workers, a different way of communicating with with the public. Uh, all of that is going to take a significant amount of of, of, of money, of attention, of uh, public education and communication uh, to make sure that we have a safe, accessible, uh, fair and free election uh, in, in, in November. Obviously, there are still some primaries going on. We want to make sure that folks have access to that. But people are really you know, the, the trust of our country, whether or not we can run an election, um, you know, uh, is, ha, has to continue. Uh, we've had elections during wars, during civil wars, during other pandemics, during other crises. We have to make sure that this happens. The way that this pandemic is hitting us is really changing the way that um, that voters are thinking about the election, that election officials are trying to plan and prepare for the election uh, and it really um, it, it produces a lot of questions. I'll pause there and obviously uh, happy to dig into any yep. of these issues later. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Adam. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Steele, Chairman Steele. Um, there are a lot of Democrats who are worried that the president is going to try to postpone the election. Um, and uh, it's my sense, given the laws and everything, that that's not going to happen, that they should not worry about that. But what do you say about that? And also, what do you say about the whole issue of vote by mail? Well, first off, thank, thank you very much, Governor and, and Adam. It's great to be with you. And I want to, I particularly want to thank the former members for the opportunity uh, to be here. And of course, as we all know, um, for those of us who, who work in Washington, I grew up in Washington, D.C., the best title you can have in D.C. is former. So we really, I, I appreciate the uh, what that means and, and, and what it means at this time in our country. Uh, I, I want to answer by sort of picking up where, where Adam left off, and that's with this idea of trusting 
that the trust the country has in the election process. And as we know, um, you know, in, in terms of other developed nations and, and the voting systems and, and processes, you know, U.S. participation is, you know, kind of lukewarm uh, in the main. And, and a lot of that has to do with um, a somewhat healthy skepticism at times, but also a lot of conspiracy theories about what actually happens at a ballot box when the evidence really shows that our system, um, by and large, is a very secure system uh, and it's a, a well-grounded system. Yes, it has some issues, um, and, and the states typically and generally get those worked out. But I think in this election cycle, this idea of trust is going to be very, very important. Um, and, and you saw that, um, I think, reflected in the Wisconsin vote, the turnout. Um, that people uh, trusted the system enough to risk their health, um, and they wanted to participate. There's a palpable energy out there among Republicans and Democrats and independents to participate in this upcoming election. Uh, so when the president, um, you know, gets on his soapbox and begins to wax poetic um, about uh, vote-by-mail, for example, being for cheaters, um, it, it, it works against that particular grain of trust uh, that the American people naturally have, um, but I think continue, uh, continue to have despite some of the obstacles that are there. Um, I don't think the Democrats, I mean, yeah, Democrats are worried about what the president may or may not do in November. Hell, Republicans are too, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and that is because the president is a mercurial personality. We don't know on any given day um, what approach or tact he's going to take uh, about something. Um, I've talked to people who have scenarios where, you know, all of this is a setup with respect to the language we hear on vote, vote by mail as a way of, of sort of on the back end, um, if he loses the election, then claiming there was, you know, you know, rife with fraud and, and cheaters and, and try to, to, to avoid the, the election. Uh, I, I think that is less um, likely to happen than, than the theater version um, of, of, of that happening. So, but it still means we need to guard uh, the system. Um, irrespective of the, the rhetoric, uh, to Adam's point, uh, we need to put in place the ground game, back it up with resources and personnel to make sure that come November, every citizen who wants to vote can vote, and every vote that is cast is counted. And the way you do that is to make sure that um, whether you have, you're in the throes of a coronavirus uh, upsurge or you're on the downside of coronavirus with fewer and fewer infections in more and more uh, green uh, counties and, and states, meaning um, the virus is pretty much abated, uh, voters themselves are still going to be um, a little bit skeptical. This idea that some in the administration, including the president, uh, as well as others, that, you know, once we get past this, that the American people are suddenly going to show up at 80,000-seat stadiums and are going to back, you know, pack movie houses and, and sit shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder in restaurants. That's not happening. We will continue to self-select uh, our space uh, and, and, and create uh, the distance one to the other 
um, because we, uh, by our nature, are going to be suspicious. Well, is this really over? Is the person sitting next to me, you know, a risk for my health? So you're not going to have that. So understanding that in the beginning, vote by mail becomes essential uh, as one of the tools to get to make sure voters have access to the ballot box, uh, particularly for our seniors who are, we, as we all know, are avid voters. They, they love participating in the system, in the process. But if their health is at risk um, or the means for them to, to get to that um, ballot are made more difficult because of social distancing, et cetera, uh, then they're likely not to vote. And no one should be disenfranchised um, because of that particularly given that there are means like vote by mail where money has been funded, um, 400, billion, 400 million. Uh, the request was from one to two billion. Uh, hopefully in the next round of stimulus, those dollars will be, will be provided. But that element of trust married up with a, uh, a system uh, or a process, vote by mail, for example, will, that could uh, secure that trust I think are going to be important for this November's election. Thank you. Uh, the uh, We have probably at least 20 embassies on this call, diplomats from 20 embassies. So just to clarify the situation, um, in 1845, Congress, pursuant to the Constitution, passed a law that states that the presidential electors election, basically, will be held on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November, meaning this year, November 3rd. That's a federal law pursuant to the Constitution. It would have to be changed, which is not going to happen, to somehow postpone the election. But I wanted to, I wanted to clarify that because there are people who still wonder if that's a flexible thing. Could it be changed? Could it be postponed? Getting back to vote by mail, though, um, because obviously that's going to be one of the major options If in some states. By the way, it's the only – five states have exclusively vote by mail, as I recall. Adam, you could talk about that. Tell us about how many states have vote by mail exclusively and how many allow it uh, without any excuse and how many are left to have to decide what to do. Sure. Um so this has been a trend uh, that's been growing, especially with the Western states, whether it's uh, the fact that some of them are a little more rural uh, or, uh, you know, folk, you know, people that are busy prefer to conduct their business uh, via e email, uh, not email, uh, regular uh, postal mail. Um, it has grown uh, with, with obviously Washington state and Oregon be, being sort of the leaders of this. And so, you know, um, you know, California, uh, Colorado, uh, uh, Washington State, Oregon, Hawaii have have a very uh, uh, very expansive vote by mail uh, practices, and many folks in those states uh, do uh, they either mail their ballots back or there are secure drop boxes that people can submit their ballots. Um, and uh, how it works is for for those states once you're on the list, you get a ballot for every election, local elections, statewide elections, federal elections that you're qualified to uh, to respond to. The best states obviously have pre-postage 
uh, return for those ballots so people don't have to find a stamp or go to the post office. That's sort of the uh, the gold standard and obviously makes it a little easier in this moment since people are still getting their mail six days a week. And, you know, it's the one individual they're sort of uh, regularly being in, t- in touch with even in this in this moment. Um, beyond that, the, the question is whether or not you can request an absentee ballot without uh, an excuse, as I, I mentioned in the beginning part of the call. 34 states and Washington, D.C., uh, have offered no excuse absentee uh, mail ballot voting. Um, and uh, the National Conference of State Legislatures website actually is the gold standard. If you guys are interested in going in to find out whether your state's covered or how that's handled, uh, NCSL uh, does a great job of, of explaining uh, the map and, and sort of showing just the facts on state laws connected to that. And um and so that leaves um, a variety, uh, you know, around 16 states or so um, where there is an excuse required. Um, and we saw some of this, you know, there was some litigation in Texas around the primary recently, whether or not folks could request and say the fear of coronavirus was a legitimate excuse. You know, the, the attorney general of Texas tried to push back and say that's not a legitimate excuse and you'd be lying on the government form if you – uh, if you uh, place that as, as an excuse, uh, a judge in Texas, I think, sort of uh, overruled that, at least as far as uh, the most recent litigation goes. This was a day or two ago. Um, but but the excuse requirement is, is challenging if you're not currently sick, but you don't want to be in a place where you might be likely to get sick. And um, and we have seen a number of states, including some big states and blue states, that have just made changes to their vote-by-mail practices to allow for this no-excuse absentee balloting. New York State, just within the last year, finally made the change to allow New Yorkers to request a ballot um, and, 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 and vote it. Um, some states are still really, you know, Alabama requires a notary public. You have to go and pay a notary and uh and uh get a signature and and in fact it has some some negative implications especially for military and overseas voting um uh you know when when you have a notary or a witness requirement to cast a ballot so there are some states that really have a long way to go um in the vote by mail journey there are a couple of states that are close to sort of statewide uh, vote by mail options arizona is a state that could pretty easily sort of flip a switch um, and have the vast majority of folks uh, cast a ballot by mail. Um, some of the things to think about when we're contemplating vote-by-mail policies is that some voters with disabilities may not be able to vote by mail, and they will need an accessible voting device. Mail in um, a Native American uh, country and some of the, the reservations is not as good and not as complete. And so uh, historically there have been challenges with those communities uh, casting a ballot by uh, by mail. Um, and, you know, it really is something where um, vote by mail got started uh, during the Civil War, actually, when there needed to be a way for uh, military uh, uh, troops to be able to cast a ballot. Um, and 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 so it, it started, as with a lot of things, with, you know, policies for the Army and trying to make sure that the troops got access to the ballot as they would if they were at, at the home and, and, and it's, it's grown slowly and, and then more recently grown quickly as a, as a policy that, uh, 
that's accepted. And under federal law, uh, there was a mention of the Military Overseas Voter Empowerment Act that Congress did on a good bipartisan basis uh, in 2009. Um, uh, you know, under federal law, the ballots have to be ready to mail to be mailed out to military and overseas voters 45 days in advance of the November uh, election. And so the full ballots have to be ready to be mailed to at least the military and overseas crew 45 days in advance. It could be mailed to a much larger uh, contingent of folks. And so that's just something to think about. But obviously, implementation is going to be key outside of the policy choices that the states have to make. Yeah, well, we have, uh, Adam, thank you. We have, of course, a number of primaries that are coming up. They may not be as consequential now because it appears Joe Biden is going to be the nominee for the Democrats and Donald Trump is the uh, nominee for the Republicans. But there are local contests uh, and primaries, including in my home state of Michigan in August, August 4th. But there's a bunch of primaries um, on June 2nd coming up. Um, Michael Steele, including your home state of Maryland, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, I, I, I think your sense earlier that you talked about is people aren't going to be so excited to go stand in line with a crowd right now, especially if you have a male voting uh, options. So what do you what do you expect um, in that group of primaries on the 2nd of June? And another question, since you have been, I might add, a very successful chair of the National Republican Party, do you think they're going to end up Republicans holding their convention on August 24th? Terry McAuliffe is wondering whether the Democrats are really going to have to go forward with a convention on August 17th. He's not so sure that's going to work. What do you think about August conventions and then the primary voting coming up in uh, in the near future? Okay, so with respect to the primary, since that's nearer term, uh, I know that uh, we here in Maryland, um, and we have a fairly flexible vote-by-mail process, um, uh, are anticipating that, um, you know, more and more people are going to request uh, an absentee ballot. I've already requested mine. For example, my wife has requested hers um, in anticipation of the, uh, the, the, the election process being slowed by coronavirus. That is not to say that there won't be uh, areas um, uh, in the state uh, where you can uh, go and stand in line in the traditional format. I think what states are going to be looking at, particularly those with June primaries, is the uh, assessment of where their state is on the coronavirus scale. Are we still in the red zone? Are we more yellow? Are we trending towards green, meaning that we're, we're much uh, clearer? Uh, and they'll look at that on a county-by-county county basis and, and decide um, the best way to approach the voting um, based on the Wisconsin experience. Um, I, I don't think people want, on, on a statewide basis, a repeat of Wisconsin, but I can see in some states um, a limited version of that where uh, a certain area of the state, county or whatever, uh, is, is, is much better off um, and, and good social distancing policy or practices um, are working and have helped. Uh, and so they may open up some schools or whatever for that purpose. But I think that's something the states are still grappling with right now and trying to figure out, which is why the early money in on the vote by mail process 
from the, the Stimulus uh, 3 package um, is so important uh, to begin to get that money in the hands of those states, particularly those with primaries coming up in basically six weeks or so, uh, to be able to uh, manage that process. The reality of, with respect to vote by mail for every state and the territories is simply this. You're going to see an unprecedented number of requests for absentee ballots uh, to vote by mail. Uh, it doesn't matter um, in the main where we are. People are just naturally going to be inclined to do that given uh, the circumstances as they are, and the states have to be ready for that. Uh, and there's no amount of wishing it away or, you know, opening up the economy and all of that that's going to change that fundamental reality. As I said before, the American people will begin, will continue to uh, impose their own form of personal social distancing. Uh, they're not going to go flocking out to the malls and, and uh, the bars and, and anything like that. So they're certainly not going to if they won't do that, they're not going to, you know, risk their health to, to necessarily stand in line and vote. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Because, as I said before, that there is a palpable desire to participate, and the states need to take advantage of that uh, by putting in the, right, in the right processes. With respect to the convention, um, they're going to have a national convention if Donald Trump wants to have a national convention. <laughs> so... That's the bottom line on that. He is the titular head of the party. If he wants to have a convention um, by, in August, he likely will. Uh, again, it may be a, a, a modified version of that, um, of the traditional convention. Uh, and I know that uh, there are plans underway to, to sort of accommodate for a possible virtual convention. But again, the, the, the emphasis, at least right now, out of the West Wing, meaning the White House, the president, is that he wants to have his convention, he wants to have his stage um, to, uh, to launch his, his second bid for the White House. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of folks are thinking by the time we get to August, this won't be as bad uh, as it is now. We pray for that, but there's no, there's no evidence to suggest and, not, and no, no doctor is going to tell you to expect that to be the case. So caution is still going to rule the day here. The question is whether or not the president desires to throw that caution to the wind um, and, and proceed accordingly. We saw that he did back off of his uh, Easter Sunday uh, desire to open the economy. Um, you know, level heads prevailed, uh, prevailed and, and the science uh, took him in a different direction. Um, we'll see if that is the case uh, when we get closer and closer to August. Yeah, you know, thanks, uh, Michael. I think, uh, again, I, I, I listened to Terry McAuliffe yesterday wondering whether the Democrats would go forward with a convention and indicating he wasn't so sure they would uh, or that it would even be a bad thing. It was interesting that he said that. But as you know, those of us in politics love to give our speech before big crowds. Yes. Uh, I think that there's one guy that enjoys that more than anyone. It is Donald J. Trump, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I can understand what you're saying. I think you're probably right on with that. Uh, I can even envision a convention where people are sitting six feet apart in some, well, the plan was, I think, Charlotte, North Carolina. So they may need a stadium to do that rather than uh, a convention hall. Um, the uh, Let me mention, too, in terms of voting by mail, 
I looked the other day, Adam, and it looked like all the battleground states, that is for our uh, observers from other countries, the, the, the states that seemed to go could go either way and determine the outcome of the election. The battleground states all appear to have vote by mail, and I think that's important to underscore. Uh, and uh, is that correct, by the way? I want to make sure I got that right. Yeah, um, I'm quickly looking through uh, my, my cheat sheet on on the states. You know, I, I think they all uh, have have no excuse uh, absentee voting. That they, they all do run it in a different way, and they're definitely in you know places like North Carolina, um, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan uh, are you know maybe doing a vote by mail in this way um, uh, for the first time. Um, you know, Michigan just adopted a more expansive vote by mail within the last uh, session or two, and there's been some some challenges and questions about implementing, even though, uh, uh, you know, as, as you know, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State of Michigan, I think has done a really good job of, of, of trying to promote the, the best administration of this there, Pennsylvania, for example, uh, is is has a lot of new policies on the books, and that's when um, that's when there are sometimes challenges, even with good public administration uh, and, uh, and 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 smart leadership. It's tough to to scale up for a state that you know traditionally handles you know eight to ten percent uh absentee voting because a lot of folks under normal circumstances when there's no risk of health um uh you know by going to the polling place prefer to go and it's a good community event you go stand in line you see poll workers you go to your local school or synagogue or uh or polling place it feels good and and so a lot of folks do prefer to to do it in person by scaling that eight to ten percent vote by mail absentee you know, average in some that may have been in place in some of these other states to, you know, in Wisconsin, they went from a 30% vote by mail request in a similarly situated uh, primary in 2016 to 70% absentee balloting um, this year. Um, so, you know, uh, Michael Steele's totally right that people will will seek out these options and and request them and as i mentioned before it is like running a very different type of election um when uh your focus is on having to do having to get a machine that does high speed counting of these absentee ballots you need an extractor machine that basically opens up all these ballots you know automatically you're talking about you know tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands to in some cases millions of ballots being processed and so the change management especially for city government for 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 county government of uh, going uh to a a low turnout absentee ballot election to a high turnout uh, absentee ballot election is really going to be challenging for folks unless they 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 start thinking about this planning it and having the resources to do it now you know i i do think that there are going to be some in-person uh, uh, polling place needs. We're going to have to see how, you know, how the, the coronavirus is spiking around the time of the election. 
but most of the poll workers uh, traditionally are over the age of 60. Um, many younger folks don't choose to be poll workers, uh, and statistically speaking, there are no-shows at higher rates than the, the older poll workers. In this environment, there's a real open question as to whether or not you're going to see the same amount of willingness of the, the over 60 crowd who have long served the polls and been great poll workers to return to that perch yeah. and, and staff these polling places. Yeah, no, I noticed that. I, th I like to visit polling places. I did that on March 10th during the Michigan primary. And the poll workers are older people, uh, and they love doing it. Um, and uh, that was right before the virus, you know, really caught hold as really serious. That was March 10th in Michigan. But we still had a huge amount of mail ballots because now you can vote by mail in Michigan without giving any reason. So, and I think we're going to see that uh, all over. Um, one of the uh, two two areas that I know some of our people have asked about is the role of the Postal Service in ensuring security. Do you see that as an issue? Um, and the second issue is, it would seem because of processing, if states have never had this avalanche of, of ballots, that we may not know a lot of results till the following day. We might not know the result on election night. Um, uh, comment on that, Adam, and I also want um, um, Lieutenant Governor Steele to comment on that, too, if you could give some brief comments on that. Yeah. Um, on the Postal Service, they're clear um, you know, financial health woes um, uh, for the organization overall, and obviously there have been a lot of questions as to uh, their sustainability. I, I don't anticipate, for reasons outside of voting, that Congress and the President will let the post office go under in these times. Um, and as to the question of whether they could, the post office could handle the, the, the expanded flow of a much higher vote-by-mail election, um, you know, they, they sent a census form out to, uh, you know, to all, all households in America just recently, which obviously is sadly much higher rate of, uh, of mailing than, than it, the, the turnout for requested absentee ballots. They can handle the, uh, the, the back and forth with absentee balloting. The bigger and tougher question from my perspective is the change in speed of counting absentee ballots. If jurisdictions can't count ballots until election day, if they're not allowed to open and count on absentee ballots until election day, that will likely mean, for a, especially for a huge surge in absentee ballots, that we won't know the results of elections in, cer in certain states until days after the, uh, the election. In California, with their move to absentee balloting uh, in, in a surged way over the last couple of years, folks have had to wait a week, two weeks, as folks are going through, verifying, doing the signature match, doing all the security things that we want them to do on absentee balloting to make sure that they're right. Um, but counting takes longer, and that's going to be tougher than a normal election where people expect to see the results and get a winner on election night. It's going to be tough for the media the media is going to have to change its expectations, perhaps. And obviously, for the, the actual candidates, we will see two candidates that are going to really have to think about 
how they claim victory or how they claim defeat uh, during this time. And that, that, is the, that is the piece that worries me the, the most is both the media and uh, the candidates' uh, appetite for finality on election night, which I don't think can happen in this environment. Michael Steele? Yeah, I, let's let's start with the president uh, and the United States Postal Service. Uh, the president, a few days ago, uh, put the word on the street that he was not inclined to support any further relief packages that would include a, a bailout, as he put it, a bailout um, of the Postal Service. Um, and so there, there's already some concern that the, that the president – has it stuck in his craw for whatever reason that uh, the the U.S. Postal Service uh, cannot be um, uh, sufficiently funded uh, in in light of coronavirus and the upcoming elections. And and so that's got a number of people right now worried. Um, The United States Postal Service received about two, uh, no, $10 billion in the the STEM-3 package, the $2 trillion package, $10 billion of that. Um, was uh, was for the post office uh, to borrow from the treasury, um, but um, you know they did not get any particular emergency funding or debt relief. Uh, to Adam's point about uh, what the financial position is of of the post office, the postal service in the main. So it's a real concern whether or not those dollars will be there. I suspect in the end it, it likely will, but here's the rub. Will it come too late? Um, timing is everything here, folks. You cannot, uh, you, you know, we're, we're now about to move into the month of May, uh, which puts our elections within that, that six, five and a half, six month window. Um, and we, we, you know, states are not going to be able to do this in three weeks or five weeks or, or three months. They, they need the runway um, to get ready. The Postal Service is no different. Um, to everything we've been saying, there's going to be a lot of extra mail, a lot of extra mail due to ballots that are going to be going uh, to people and coming from people, and that has to get processed. So everyone needs to get their act together, focus on um, making, excuse me, making sure the U.S. Postal Service is ready and and ready ready and capable of handling that flow. With respect to election night, I think Adam uh, nailed it. Um, yeah, candidates want to get up and claim victory, and, and those who are defeated want to do so in a way where they still seem somewhat victorious. Um, and, of course, the, the networks are going to want to claim, you know, we like, we like the horse race, so, you know, who's winning, who's losing, and, and they like the finality. We won't get that. And, and if you want to get a feel of what election night could possibly be back, be like, Iowa. <laughs> Iowa 50 times over. Um, and, and it's not for any other reason than there's just going to be a lot of extra information um, that's going to be flowing through the system um, in these absentee ballots that you won't be able to access until you get the ballot, open the ballot, count the ballot, register the ballot. Uh, and that is going to take time. My big concern is that that process somehow is undermined, um, that, you know, all the little conspiracy theory nuts that we have running around this country right now, um, getting all jacked up on Twitter and, uh, and the Internet, 
talking about, um, you know, oh, see, I told you this is the, the fix is in. They're trying to prevent the president from winning or they're trying to, you know, uh, give the president the election. Um, this, this is something that we have to guard against um, and we have to be prepared for uh, to make sure that um, that trust that we talked about before is sustained at a point where it could very quickly fall apart. Well, you know, yeah, it's interesting. Um, the um, president, you know, has stated recently, vote by mail is corrupt. He's always talked about the election is rigged, even the one he was elected in. Um, he set up a commission, a voter fraud commission, which then was disbanded after he was he set that up after he was president. Um, he's again questioned the legitimacy of vote by mail, even though we've had it forever and ever and ever in the form of absent voter balloting. Um, you know, my sense is if he could stop it, he would. But most of the governors, Republican or Democratic, uh, uh, support it. Um, and the states are the ones that have control of the election process. So I think your point about trust is 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 really the big issue. And how do the Republican governors and secretaries of state, how do they push back on that issue? Because they will. I don't care whether it's Ohio or Arizona or Colorado. Um, there does not appear to be Vote by mail does not appear to favor one party over the other, despite what the president thinks. Uh, what's your reaction to what I've just said? I, I think you're right. Um, in fact, there are uh, numerous studies uh, coming out. One just uh, yesterday, I believe, from Stanford um, that uh, definitively you know, goes through very mechanically and methodically, uh, county by county, um, that, uh, you know, there's a slight increase in voter participation due to vote by mail. Um, but with respect to the partisan effects of vote by mail, it's neutral. No one party has the advantage. Um, at the end of the day, Abraham Lincoln got it right. You still got to go knock on your neighbor's door. You still have to go door to door to get that vote to turn out. Uh, and, and if you don't have those processes in place, um, it doesn't matter how you do the vote. So, you know, what a lot of the noise is about right now is trying to scare people into believing something that just isn't real or, or scare people to believe something is going to happen that just is not going to happen and certainly has not been proven um, by the evidence. Um, when you look at, and, and the Heritage Foundation did this study over a um, – I think it was a four-year period, uh, there were something like 1,200 uh, instances of voter fraud out of every election that had, and ballot that had been cast over those four-year periods. So that would include a congressional cycle and a presidential cycle. There were 1,200 instances where someone actually um, got convicted of a crime of, of, of violating federal election law. And the most recent of which, which is the greatest irony of all, and one of the most notorious, occurred in the state of North Carolina, perpetrated by, guess who, Republicans. So this idea that, you know, Democrats are out there sort of scheming to uh, steal the election, well, the most recent example we have of that is by Republicans, if you want to play that game. 
which is why you don't want to play that game. Because the reality of it is, it is such a small portion of of what potentially could happen um, because of the safeguards. And yes, the system is choppy. We get that, um, and it doesn't work all the time in all uh, all places. But in the main, it is it is something that the states are very concerned about and have done a good job of protecting against voter fraud. And the vote by mail process is probably one of the more secure ways to avoid that fraud. Yeah, I would I would think so because you you can have a signature, you look at it, you compare it to the signature on file of when a person registers to vote. You have uh, poll watchers in both parties that stand around. It would seem to me actually. Paper ballots are uh, more foolproof for manipulation than the electronic or the old-fashioned voting machine. In fact, yes. uh, one of the issues that some people have asked about um, is, do we expect you know the Russian interference again, um, and would they try to interfere with the actual election process, or maybe the Chinese? And you know, my one answer would be. With vote by mail, much harder to hack into systems because uh, you have paper ballots. And in fact, Canada has always had paper ballot voting. They think it's just more reliable now. Their system is easier. Uh, it's not a long laundry list of people on the ballot, but they still count by hand when you're deciding who the prime minister is going to be. So I think paper ballots, in that sense, are more fraud proof. But what do you think about? Um, because it's a question some of our listeners have asked uh, about inter- foreign interference in our election. Yeah, um, this is Adam. Uh, I, I think, you know, t- to your last point, I think the, the surge and increase in, in vote-by-mail necessarily being paper is, is a plus. And, and obviously having a paper record, um, something folks fill out, uh, increases security, increases the likelihood that you – can do a post-election uh, check or audit uh, to make sure that the, vote, the total votes tabulated were the ones that were counted on election day. All these ballots have to be secured uh, for a while in, in most jurisdictions. Um, in addition to the, you know, the the canvas of the vote, which is the official check uh, of the vote, some of them do, you know, very thoughtful audits uh, post-election. And also the benefit of, of absentee balloting is that, you know, for longer ballots or for local races, you have time to research and, and uh, find out the positions of different folks, especially for the local races, if uh, they're complicated. Um, but on the, the foreign interference question, um, the, 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 the surge in paper ballots does increase uh, the reliability of, of the count, uh, which is great. I think that um, – we will not see, sadly, a decrease in the interest in actors, uh, foreign and domestic, to try to um, uh, disturb our elections process. And, 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 you know, while we are mitigating with a surge in, you know, uh, the paper absentee ballots, um, uh, there will be efforts to, as there were last time, to focus on our voter registration lists, uh, which uh, which are are electronic. There are uh, backups, certainly, and mitigation efforts that election officials have used uh, to protect it. But that was sort of the aim and the the sort of known attacks in Illinois, in Arizona in 2016, is to try to get into the voter registration list. And of course, if you're mailing everybody on your registration list a ballot, if you can manipulate the voter registration list in advance, 
um, you can manipulate who gets a ballot. Uh, so the need to focus on cybersecurity and security for elections has not gone away. And in fact, at times has been more complicated because we're changing how we run elections in some ways during this coronavirus period. And it's in those moments of change where folks can take advantage of, of gaps in plans. Um, you know, a lot of work has been done. And in fact, prior to the, the coronavirus uh, sort of surge over the last several months here, most election offices at the state and local level have spent the last three years focusing on the cybersecurity concerns, really working on improving um, both physical and electronic security of the of the ballot, of the registration lists, of how they do their business, and really trying to do a good good job of it. And uh, personally, as as an election geek, I was looking forward to you know showing over the last four years how how much better prepared we were for the cybersecurity threat in elections than uh, we were in in 2016. But uh, I think the challenging uh, fact of life is that. The uh, there is a new threat uh, doesn't mean the old threat goes away. It just is layered on top of it, uh, and we need to deal with both of them at the same time. Are there other options besides vote by mail and voting standing in line? Early voting has seen an increase um, in in the last several years, and uh, pe- people allow uh, some states allow people to vote from as early as like early October through to election day and generally um you know there's a surge of people that show up to vote on the first or second day of early voting in those states that allow it uh and so that's really crowded on you know october 10th october 11th um and then you know those really excited voters tend to have casted their ballot and then there's a lull during the middle period of time uh, of early voting in many of those states, and then a surge again the last two weeks uh, running up to the election. Um, some have wondered whether or not you could recommend times to different neighborhoods in different parts of jurisdictions to to really promote, you know, encourage social distancing in a much better and more thoughtful way uh, during the, the lull in early voting period to make sure that people know that if you go you know, there will be plenty of space between you and other folks that, you know, real attention will be taken care of for safety and security. And so I, I think that uh, I, I think that using smarter, uh, smarter math and smarter uh, line management uh, in the early voting period can allow more folks to get in and cast their ballot in person. You still, you know, I mean, those are still really the, the three main options, vote early, vote on Election Day, uh, and uh, and vote by mail. Uh, we haven't figured out another way to uh, make it happen, as far as I know, yet. Well, let's, we're going to wrap. We want to thank everyone for being on the call and have some concluding remarks. So, Lieutenant Governor Steele? Yeah, you know, I, I just – Despite all of the uncertainty that we have, um, what excites me and and really empowers a lot of my thinking is what I hear and see out here, um, and and that is an energy behind uh, the idea of taking advantage of the the franchise of voting and participating. Um, however, you look at uh, the president and the Congress and all of that. 
Uh, I think that there's been a, a stimulation of thought around um, civic responsibility and duty. I think there's, to some degree, the American people having to relearn their civics, um, how we actually elect the president, um, uh, you know, in some cases, and, and why the ballot is uh, important. Uh, and all of that, to me, is very encouraging, particularly at a time where um, our neighbors and friends and families are, are, are affected by uh, COVID-19, uh, uh, even to the point of death and, and the difficulty and the burden that that puts uh, on communities in the country, um, there's still that American resilience to rise up and, and to participate uh, and to keep the democracy vibrant and alive. And, and that, to me, I'm very much encouraged by. You know, I'm, I appreciate that, uh, Michael, because I am optimistic as well. I think we're going to have a record-setting turnout. We're going to learn a lot about ourselves in terms of our social uh, sense of community and sense of involvement and commitment to our country and its future. So I think this could end up being a real, obviously a blessing in disguise amidst terrible tragedies. But I'm optimistic about the election and the turnout and the security of the ballots. So Adam, anything you want to conclude with? Yeah, I'll try to take that hopeful frame and empowerment frame and and push it forward. I I think there are things that we all can do, and especially the former members and folks that are part of the diplomatic corps and embassies. You know, there will be another stimulus bill. There is a need for around, you know, $1.6 billion, as estimated by Brennan Center and other experts at least, um, to make sure that we can surge vote by mail, uh, promote early voting, do public education. Um, and and there's still a chance for the public to be heard that they, they need that that funding now so that the state and local governments uh, can, can run a safe and secure elections. And so through your networks and through your communities, you know, one thing that folks can do is to promote, you know, money now for the purposes of running the election, encouraging younger people or healthier people to serve as poll workers for those smaller polling places uh, that, uh, that 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 will still exist in, in the fall. You know, advocate at the, at the state and local level for expanded, more flexible uh, vote-by-mail options, especially for this election. Maybe it's not right for the state to make a permanent change. Make a change just for this election during the crisis for, for folks to, 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 to run the election safely. Um, I think that there, there is a window for policy change at the state and the, and, and the federal level. That window is shrink, shrinking every day. And, and so people with, 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 with friends and connections who care about the process have, have a moment now to speak up, to inspire confidence in the election system, and promote positive change and then promote good implementation of whatever that change is between now and the election day. I'm friends, obviously, given where I'm at with a bunch of election officials uh, across the country, both the Democrats and Republicans. They care passionately about being able to continue their job. Um, and, you know, after 2016, DHS determined elections as critical infrastructure for the United States. And I would say it's also critical infrastructure for our democracy writ large. We need to find a way to support the local uh, election officials, the state election officials that are really trying in this incredibly challenging time uh, to let people have their voice and have that that voice count uh, no matter where the results uh, end up. And so I I think people on the phone have agency. They have the ability to have influence. 
uh, we're, we and, and as a community are all trying to push positive change in this moment. And I'd love to see that continue and move forward for a positive, safe, and secure and trustworthy election this, this November. Adam, Michael, thank you so much for your uh, participation in today's forum. Uh, thank you to the former members organization, which I belong to. I can assure you, and thanks to the former members of Congress staff, I can assure you the former members of both parties are completely committed to not only the, expanding the right to vote, but making sure we have a secure and timely uh, election. And uh, we will abide by that result. But I remain optimistic, as we discussed moments ago. Thank you again, all of you, for being on this call. Thank you for all of our guests. And thank you to Pete uh, Weishlein and uh, Paul Kincaid for your help as well, and also uh, Lauren Harrell Harbison. Thank you very much. And we'll do another program next week, I think probably the same time, on April 23rd. Thank you.